Section eight of Sunbeams by George W. Peck. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Goat Meat Habit. Chicago is addicted to the goat meat habit. It has been discovered that a good deal of the mutton that is eaten in Chicago is nothing but goat, and that carloads of goat meat are being shipped there from Montana every week. That accounts for a good many things. There has been something strange in the conduct of many Chicago citizens, which we have never been able to satisfactorily explain, but this goat meat theory comes in just in time. Of course, a man is not to blame if he has eaten goat meat and did not know it, but if he deliberately eats billy goat, knowing it to be such, he cannot set up a claim to having lived a blameless life. There is no sure thing, but two-thirds of the crime in Chicago is caused by a goat diet. What that town needs, to become as quiet and peaceful as Oshkosh, is less detectives and more meat inspectors. It must be that some of the hotels there serve goat meat instead of mutton, because cases have been known where good citizens of towns in the West, men who belong to churches and schools of design, have gone to Chicago to lead a pious life for a time, and rest up from the cares of business, and after they have been in a Chicago hotel a few hours and eaten strange meat, they have gone blatting about, looking for trouble, which has often met them halfway, and they have been injured in their reputation and finances, and have finally gone home with guilty consciences to pray for forgiveness and to diet on liver in order to get the goat meat out of their systems. It is time Chicago did something to protect the strangers within her gates, and now is the time to put a stop to this goat meat vaccination before the crowd goes there in October to lay the cornerstone of Mr. McKinley's boom for a second term, with Dewey on the side. The mayor should put his trusty henchman to henching on this goat question, and run in every goat in the town, dead or alive, and make a public announcement that there is no goat meat epidemic there, or thousands of people who would like to go there and shout for Dewey and see McKinley acknowledge the applause by bowing and bearing his head will stay away. Of course, if people prefer goat meat, it is different, but the people would hate mightily to see the distinguished people that are to be there, acquire habits that it would take a lifetime to outgrow. Goat meat, if eaten at all, should be tagged like oleomargarine, so a guest would know what he was getting. But to allow it to be eaten by the innocent and good, who will never know what has caused them to act that way, is wicked. It is not so bad for the regular resident of Chicago. He may eat dog if he wants to, and one goat, more or less, will not affect him. But it is the man from out of town that we plead for. He goes to Chicago from force of habit, and does not believe he can be harmed by doing so. He probably could not, unless something was smuggled into him, in disguise. But you take the mildest man in all Wisconsin, put him in Chicago, and fill him up with the meat of billy goats, even though it is well cooked, so the germs would seem to be destroyed, and you want to watch him, he will say such things and do such things that he ought to be sent home with a trained nurse. New War Explosives It is getting so anything that will wound or kill may be used in war, and as that question seems to be settled, inventors will go to work to study out new weapons. 
up to a few years ago only the bullet the bayonet the sword and the mule were considered proper to be used in civilized warfare but gradually dynamite and other explosives more dangerous than the mule have come into use the mule was considered the most deadly explosive until a method was discovered for shooting dynamite with safety as the mule would get into a crowd of the enemy by stampede or otherwise and keep kicking until all were laid out the last use of the mule against an enemy was when general white stampeded a mess of mules at ladysmith towards the enemy the result in killed and wounded is not known as yet owing to imperfect communication but as it is admitted that hubert has started with his army for the south the supposition is that the mules are still after his army and he may surrender to the british the first chance he gets in order to save the part of his army not yet kicked to death there is terror in the hundred-pound shell as it comes across the country loaded for bear liable to explode any minute and tear up the turf for acres but the terror is as nothing compared to a stampede of mules you know that when a shell once explodes that is the end of it but when a mule begins to kick and cavort and bray that is only the beginning of the trouble the dum-dum bullet that goes into a man making an inch hole where it goes in then mushrooms and tears his insides all up into cut feed and finally goes out on the other side out of a hole as big as a wash-tub is considered dangerous to life but it can't compare with the four iron-shod feet of a mule for making an enemy wish he had been run through a corn-husker instead the mule is doing as well as he can but the time has come when something more deadly is needed something with longer range than the mule so leadite an explosive that makes mincemeat of an army at four miles range is used and now anything goes it is considered legitimate warfare to use anything that will kill so the cucumber and rough on rats is very likely the next thing that will be used a gun that will shoot cucumbers into a man and give him cholera morbus will bring the inventor a fortune a man who has a six-inch cucumber shot into his vitals will never live to get to a hospital and his comrades will surely leave him on the field of battle nothing will save him from the deadly pains of cholera morbus but olive oil and no soldier can carry a bottle of olive oil into battle the shooting of bread or cheese saturated with rat poison will cause inventors much study but the inventive genius of our country has never failed in anything it has undertaken shells can be invented similar to the deadly shrapnel containing pieces of hardtack broken irregularly like scrap iron saturated with the rat poison and no enemy can live in range of the gun that fires it and the contractors who furnish the rat poison for war purposes will guarantee that the wounded shall not die on the premises military experts are looking for great results from the firing of shells of rat poison and it was expected that it would be experimented with on the filipinos but it has been found that aguinaldo heard of the new ammunition being shipped to the far east and he has taken to the woods and mountains so it is feared he is liable to be immune from rat poison owing to distance from the base of supplies it is too bad it could not have been tried on the filipino dog before going on the road for the regular season in africa there are some officers who from their position in cuba 
got much valuable information in regard to canned beef as a deadly weapon, who believed the embalmed article, in round cans, fired from a mortar, could be made the most destructive missile yet invented. But their fear of being accused of suggesting uncivilized weapons has kept embalmed beef in the list of foods instead of missiles. But it is liable to be perfected for the next war. Certainly nothing would create greater consternation in the ranks of a civilized enemy than the explosion of cans of embalmed beef in their ranks, for one sniff of it would be worse than the pots that the Chinese use in warfare. Future wars will be conducted largely on the result of experiments being made in new weapons in the wars that are now being so humanely conducted by the two most civilized nations on the earth. THE MAN WHO ASKED QUESTIONS There is a man who is always asking questions, and who can never talk five minutes without asking so many that the answers would fill a book. He likes to talk with the young lawyers that congregate around the hotels, the courts, and the office buildings. These young lawyers, with a few older ones, get together evenings and talk over incidents, argue cases, and give opinions to themselves on cases in court, and hand-down decisions, as they call it. They have a good deal of fun with each other, and when one gives an opinion as to how a certain case, in some court, will be decided, the others give great weight to the opinion rendered, and often say, I guess you are right, old man, until the court decides the other way, when they will say, Well, I see the judge differed with you, and add, consolingly, But he probably hadn't studied up the matter as you did. The man who asks questions had bothered these lawyers a long time, and they decided to get even with him. So one evening he tired them out asking questions about different things that were topics of conversation, and the next morning he received a bill from every last one of them, for from five to twenty-five dollars, for advice, with a request to please remit. He is a man that does not know the first principles of a joke, and when he got the batch of bills from lawyers, he was mad in a minute, and took them to his regular lawyer, and spread them out, and said, Do I have to pay these bills? The lawyer looked them over carefully, without a smile, having already been seen by the other lawyers, and told of the joke, and said, Why, I suppose so. They seem to be all regular enough. Here is one charging ten dollars in Dreyfus' case and one for fifteen dollars for opinion in Plankinton Bank case. Did you ask these lawyers for legal advice in those celebrated cases? And his lawyer looked at him over his spectacles inquiringly. No, said the man who asks questions. I never asked for any paid advice. We were talking over these cases, and I asked a solemn-looking duck what his opinion was as to the guilt or innocence of Dreyfus, and he hummed and hogged, and talked about the evidence in the case, and said he had read every word of evidence, and he finally said he thought Dreyfus was guilty. I knew a confounded sight better, and gave my opinion that he was innocent, and showed why. And here he comes in with a bill for ten dollars for an opinion in that case. Then I asked him if he didn't think Plankinton ought to give back the money he took for his services, and board the creditors at the Plankinton house, till they had boarded out their claims and he said he would look the matter up, and let me know, and the next day he said he had looked it up, and found that if the court sanctioned Mr. Plankinton's bill, 
he couldn't be held to board the creditors to the amount of their claims and here he salts me twelve dollars for that opinion i tell you it is an outrage ain't it well not necessarily said the lawyer drumming on the table with his fingers and pursing up his mouth the lawyer no doubt took it that you were interested in those cases and he no doubt took the testimony and weighed it carefully and balanced the evidence carefully in his mind and gave you his opinion believing it would be valuable to you what is this charge in this other bill for an opinion on the rampo water combine are you interested in that new york swindle not on your life said the man who asks questions we were talking about tammany and the prospects of the organization coming out and supporting brian i had no interest in it but it was the day croker was interviewed and i asked a young irish lawyer if he didn't think the fellows in new york had gone into that rampo water company with a view of swindling the city out of twenty millions and after consulting with another dove on the subject he came to me and said that he was ready to hand down an opinion that mr platt and mr croker were actuated solely with the desire to better the condition of the people of new york in their water supply and that they had never thought of the possibility of making a dollar out of it and here he has charged me twelve dollars for that advice and ten dollars for advice as to whether there would or would not be a war between england and the transvaal i only asked that question to find out what he thought about the prospect of war very likely said the lawyer as he put his feet up on his desk and locked his fingers together across his stomach but you understand a lawyer to be ready to give opinions off-hand on all questions has got to study up all the time it seems to me these charges if they are proper are exceedingly reasonable but what is this charge in this other bill ten dollars for advice in regard to pants i can't see how that can properly come into a bill for legal advice just like the whole blamed business said the talking man there were a whole lot of us talking about everything when i felt as though my trousers were too short at the bottom and i asked that smooth-faced lawyer with bushy hair and a white hat says i look at the bottom of my pants and see if you don't think they are too short and he put on his glasses and looked and had me walk by him and finally he said he wasn't up on the styles and was not much of a tailor but he would jump at a conclusion without looking up the authorities and give me his opinion that the pants ought to be let out a couple of holes on my suspenders and by mighty he has charged me ten dollars for handing down that opinion he might as well charge a woman for legal advice when she asks him if her hat is on straight this beats me and i will never ask a lawyer the time of day again do i have to pay these bills well i don't see any way out of it unless you contest the matter in the courts said the lawyer and how much are you going to charge me for this advice oh a mere nominal sum said the lawyer smiling and rubbing his hands perhaps twenty-five dollars well i'll be dodgasted said the man as he went out to buy a gun end of section eight recording by melora